Hello there and welcome to the third episode of Entrepreneur, the podcast that's all about the untold stories behind business with me, Robin Vinter. If you missed episodes one and two, you can catch them on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search Entrepreneur. This week, I thought we'd examine the mantra, failure is good. In the home of the tech startup, Silicon Valley, you're nobody until you've had at least one failed business. But in the UK, if your business goes under, it tends to be judged as a sign you didn't manage it well, or simply that it wasn't a good business in the first place. But which is the truth? Well, I spoke to a man who has a pretty great insight into both success and failure, both of which you'll hear about today. The important thing is that it's, it's fine, right? Like, it shouldn't be feared, and I think there has always been a distinction between the US and here anyway. Like, you know, how many times you've oh, wow, like, you know, you failed, cool. And whereas here, like, I think just sort of British pride, like, restricts you from failing and probably restricts you therefore a little bit, has done in the past anyway, from, like, pushing the boundaries a little bit further. That's Peter Goodman. He's quite well known in the digital advertising industry for co-founding Facebook advertising platform Brighter Option. Back in 2009, he was working as a sort of freelance broker, using his knowledge of the UK to help American companies sell their products to Brits through Facebook. American companies were targeting ads to people who were fans of TV programmes like CSI, for example, when they should have been targeting Coronation Street fans, but they just didn't know what Coronation Street was. They were spending millions a month, and for helping them target better, Peter was getting a slice of that money. But it wasn't long before he realised technology could do this job. He joined with his techie co-founder, Andrew Craven, and thus Brighter Option was born. After a few years, Peter and Andrew received an unsolicited offer from a client and realised the potential for a sale. In 2012, the company was sold to Buddy Media for an undisclosed sum. Honestly, I did ask. When Buddy Media came out, as a front runner to acquire the business, I spent a lot of time with Mike Lazaro, who was the founder there. And it was just, I don't know, it was just an, an, a, a good bond that kind of, and the offer was fantastic. I mean, the offer was incredible. And What was the offer? I can't say that. And, then, <laughs> and the team were incredible, and, you know, they were a husband and wife team, and I got on just so well with them. And you could see, I don't know, there was, it, without sounding cheesy, there was, you could see that it was gonna, that we were onto something bigger. A couple of months later, Buddy Media was bought by Salesforce for a reported $649 million, and the app that had been Brighter Options Business became Social.com. Peter stayed on board as manager of the project for six months, as had been agreed in the sale, but when that was all over, he was free. With a fair bit of money in the bank, Peter has been able to spend time with his family, including his new baby, and has been investing particularly in other media businesses. People say success is like an iceberg. The top bit you can see poking out of the water is only a fraction of the hard work and trials and tribulations that went in. If selling a business seems like a blissful, dreamy situation to be in, Peter himself will tell you it wasn't that way the first time he did it. Back in the late 90s, during the dot-com boom, Peter and a childhood friend started their first business. He had just graduated university with a degree in law, a subject he wasn't particularly passionate about, but had stuck with pretty much to please his mum, who just wanted him to get a good job. Upon graduating, I was kind of like, I was never going to go into law. So um, a friend and I launched a business pretty much out straight out of the gate, uh, like an advertising business. So it all sort of, I think in the last the last year, we just figured out that it would be it would be quite fun to do something for yourself rather than go into the to the big wide world of you know being judged immediately. So it's quite nice that we could go and create our own little thing. So that was that was sort of where it all started. I think just an, an idea manifested in itself, and you kind of thought if you didn't do it then, you'd never do it. It was kind of that attitude, which I think a lot of people sort of suffer from. Really, is kind of when's the right time and 
you know, there's never a right time, right? It's kind of when, whenever you just can't. I always used to say, like, if you can't scratch the itch, and just just go and get on with it, or stop talking about it. So it was kind of like, so we kind of had that attitude, and we yeah, we, we went and we went and launched it pretty much on graduation, and so we we basically founded the idea. So at the time, everyone was it was around two thousand two thousand one. Everyone was raising ridiculous money in the sort of dot com boom. The idea came about ninety nine, obviously when everyone was just raising tens of millions of pounds just to advertise like the worst idea ever, um, and we figured that we didn't know anything about programming, so we'd try and make use of the money that was being basically spent on marketing which everything was being branded right you couldn't move for branded.com stuff and we went we were in offices and we, we kept seeing water coolers and it was the the weirdest not the greatest idea you've ever seen in your life but we ended up branding water cooler cups in offices so sending branded cups into offices like here with the, with the concept that you go and take your water and take it back to your desk because in the early days of the internet not really everyone knew what to look at it was kind of like everyone wanted to be on there but after about 11 minutes you were bored because you didn't really know where to look at and that's why so much money was getting spent on, on the various brands and we just figured we could uh, help people get brands into offices Pretty neat little business, right? You can tell by the cringeworthy enthusiasm in my voice during these next clips that I just think it's a cool 90s startup idea it was, an, it was an incredible sort of launch. It took about nine months to get a customer. And then the Royal Sun Alliance actually was our first customer. Oh, wow. They did, they okay. did a Where's Lucky campaign. And um, I don't know if you're... you I'm not, I've never, I haven't said this for a minute, but you probably you remember the Where's <laughs> Lucky campaign. Before my but, time. But like, <laughs> what it was was like a lost dog. And it was basically the idea was it was about pet insurance initially. But a lot, So all the cups just had like a lost dog on them. And we had our name on the bottom with our telephone numbers trying to promote ourselves. And we used to get phone calls about the lost dog. Like, oh, and it wasn't yeah. a lost dog, it was like a tease and reveal campaign. <laughs> yeah. And we had like about 30 calls. I found your dog. Like, hopes oh, calls no. and random stuff. Oh, so we, yeah, we kind of realised maybe a website was better than, <laughs> than yeah, a telephone than number. number yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is oddly sad. Um, <laughs> but we printed like a huge amount of cups. And then, to be honest, like, it, the, we just kept getting more campaigns. Like, every time a supermarket opened a local store, they'd send in uh, a quantity of cooler cups into the local offices. You know, they and it was kind of like a neat idea, and we, we, we were kind of doing quite well out of it, and so you kind of get a bit above your station at that age. There are some small basic mistakes that young entrepreneurs with not that much experience of the world of work will make. We turned up to a media agency in, like, just, we came described as a suit and tie, and I remember speaking to this woman, I can never remember her name, so I'd love to remember her name for the story, but um, set up to it, she turned out in like a pair of dungarees or something, you know, when like you're 21, you're so overdressed, it was like the most inappropriately, you know, it's just embarrassing, like, yeah, this is cool, this is like me, oh, we've got ties on and you've got a pair of dungarees on, it was kind of like, never did that again, so we, we all went and just went back to what you'd normally wear on a Friday night, really, and got on a lot better, to be fair. But over time, the challenges of the business got bigger. But then everything became, with, with online, everything became a little bit more accountable. So they wanted to know exactly where they were, how many cuts were being used a day, and quantify it. It wasn't that easy to quantify, right? It was kind of like, they're in there, just enjoy the fact that they're in there and being used, rather than how many people logged onto the website from, you know, when you're driving traffic from online to online. Everything's so trackable that you kind of, you kind of uh, almost, almost did a lot of the outdoor and ambient companies out of business, I think, based on the fact that, it wasn't as easy to demonstrate return. They were successful businessmen in their early 20s and did what anyone would do at that age. To be quite frank, we were, like, we were happy We were happy as hell, right? We were like living the life, going out on Saturday, Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays. We, were, we had money, but it just wasn't real money, if that makes sense. It was, it was you know, it was, it was temporary money. But as a rookie entrepreneur, it's easy to make a few fatal errors, even if it seems like your business is only growing. 
I think we got way ahead of ourselves, both in probably an ego as well, a little bit, kind of like I run my own business. I don't know if you know that sort of attitude, and you know, and it wasn't. It, it just was nothing. It was something to be proud of what we'd done, but like the hard work really should, you know, was kicking on then, and, and we just, I think we badly managed, you know, some of the contract sizes, the the, the financials, and we, we were just sort of all caught up in it, I think, as much as looking at it from an outsider's view, like where if you actually said, right, the good practicalities of a business, like a good bookkeeper, like need a good bookkeeper to make sure everything can be paid for, then you can spend the excess rather than getting paid money and then sort of like trying to over-trade or buy more contracts with the money. And you just kind of got caught up and it was purely naivety on everyone's part. And, you know, you learn pretty quickly when you make them sort of mistakes. So. The company was essentially killed by cash flow problems, far from unique, unfortunately. In the end, the business got bought by someone we... we my friend and I lost a lot of money and, you know, my parents actually bailed me out, um, you know, pretty much on the brink and and um, that kind of was a very, obviously, a humbling experience, right? You're kind of like, okay, and they're not, you know, we're not from wealth, so it's kind of like they remortgaged a house to sort of stop me doing, you know, stop me, to keep me, on, keep me sort of um, solvent, I guess is the best word. And, yeah, it was an interesting time and kind of a, a lot of fear and... And then you reflect, right? And then you spend like probably six months of your life feeling sorry for yourself and reflecting on why did I do this? Why did we do that? I mean, we had more mouse mats than any human being would need, right? Like just wasted money on silly stuff that you felt was important at the time because you want everyone to know that things are going really well. And like we'd send coffee cups and mugs and, you know, print endless mouse mats for some reason. There was obviously an obsession, but business cards and compliment slips. Like, well, I don't think we ever sent a letter anywhere, but we had more headed paper than you know, probably the British government. It's just like, just phenomenal amounts of stuff because you felt you needed that. Owing his parents a lot of money forced Peter to reflect on what had gone wrong. You have a lot of time to think, right, when you've, when you've, when you've kind of not done a great thing by your parents and, and then you can reflect properly when, and then, you know, with great support and great love, they kind of get you over that hump anyway and then dust yourself off and go again, right? That's kind of what we did. But this time, he felt he knew what he was doing. He begged his girlfriend at the time, who is now his wife, for a year, just one year, to get a new business going. And if it didn't work, he'd get a job. And I was obviously massively miserable at this point, so it was kind of like, right, you've got a year to go play. And, and I got some good support from people that I was helping consult with, and, you know, and, and just, I guess, really, in the end, again, it was just like, I had nothing else to lose, right? So why not? And that was kind of the, so just go again. And, and then that, that really kicked off the... I guess the next phase of, 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 of my life really, which was the next three companies, the last one of which I sold. By the time Brighter Option came about, he knew how to manage a business well. I would say when Brighter Option launched in, I think it was 2009, 10, was, it was just, I knew the perfect way of doing it. Like, however that, however egotistical that sounds, it was just like I knew that tightly managing the money was like priority number one you know taking as minimal amount of money out as you can just to live off and getting good people in and building a good team and then and using the money that I had to build the initial technology to then go and raise a very small amount of money we only raised you know minimal amounts of money in terms of raising cash so now with the benefit of hindsight he can really isolate the mistakes the pair made in their first business there's a lot of assumptions in our plan if that makes sense um yeah, we signed one really big deal with, with um, for the golf stuff. We signed a really big deal with a brand, and our assumption was obvious that that would be easy to do all the time, right? And instead of doing like share, rev share deals, we were guaranteeing people money, and that you know in in contracts, and that that kind of I think was the undoing. And so I think the naive that that was just a huge naivety in terms of how to play that. We were both fresh out of uni, so we didn't really have any reference points, and you know, we knew we knew best, right? You kind of didn't really know 
what was a good practice and what was a bad practice. If you'd have worked anywhere, you'd have known that accounts need to be, you'd have seen management looking at accounts or management accounts or seen the sales guys actually have targets rather than just like, as long as you turn up, you're pretty cool. Right? <laughs> it was kind of, so I think that was kind of, yeah, we, I think we'd have learned a lot from work, but then there's also the point that if we would have gone and got jobs, we may never have done it. So I don't think that's, I think having good people around you could also solve that problem, I suppose. I asked Peter what his advice was for other entrepreneurs. Just get to break even, right? Just get to break even and then you don't have to worry. You know, because then, then at least you know all your costs are covered and you can run a business and then you can grow it. But all the time you're losing money, is it, it, there's always that worry and concern. And I think that, but not knowing whether you're making money or not is, a, is, a, is just a rookie error, right? You should know very much up front, like whether you're making or how much you're losing each month or whether you're break even or what your break even even is. You know, and there's lots of, and to be honest, I look back now and I probably couldn't even tell you what the break even was of the first business, but, you know, I could tell you which each one was of the subsequent businesses I've done and also the ones I've invested in because it's the first question you ask now. So, and I think for me, don't, not being shy about asking people's opinions and you don't have to take everyone's opinion as the same, but like, just don't. Don't be shy about asking questions because there, it's the old adage of like, there is no silly question. But I think when, when you're out, start out in business on your own, it, it's a, like, quite a lonely world. So having people that you can talk to, family members, people that have run businesses, or even just worked in places, like just get as much, just be a bit of a sponge for information rather than just go on telling everyone how good you're doing and you know, I'll run my own business. <laughs> There's a lot of that. So, Peter says, failure isn't a bad thing necessarily. It's failing to learn from failure, that's the problem. Just failing for failing's sake is not really a, you know, it's not a barrier. You have to, you have to take learnings. I mean, you know, I think in that, in that seven years of long failing, for want of a better, for better description, like you did learn so much and like you can't, yes, it was the worst thing ever to happen ever when it happened. It was horrendous because we were so personally exposed. But then, but you look back now and it was like just clearly the best thing because you could, take every little bit of learning you did and apply it to, to your next venture and so I think when people when people discuss like whether you've failed or not I don't think it should matter it should be about like what you've learned along the way and you know you don't have to fail but the chances are many of many of us do right especially on the first go because it's not an easy thing to do but you shouldn't be judged on the actual failure itself you should you should be judged on what on what you take out of it and if you don't learn anything then 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 it's more cause of concern than actually failing itself so well, that's it for another episode. Thanks again this week to the team at London Loves Business. The music we used in today's podcast is by Catmosphere, who you can find on SoundCloud. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out our website at londonlovesbusiness.com, which features the story from this week's podcast, along with all our other business news and features. Finally, if you're an entrepreneur with a tale to tell and want to be featured in an upcoming episode on the next series of Entrepreneurd, drop us an email at entrepreneurd at londonlovesbusiness.com as we're always on the lookout for new stories. Thanks and see you next week.